Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I am an ecologist, and a professor of biology, and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring science, studying birds, and in following Jesus. I started Disciple Science to produce short videos and other resources to help people connect with God through God's creation. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests as we explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now let's get on with the podcast. At Disciple Science, we are eager to talk about the resonance and compatibility of science and Christianity. You're probably aware that not all of us have heard that message, and for many, this relationship has been a source of conflict and tension. Today on the podcast, we feature a friend who is working to reach those who have decided they don't want to be associated with Christianity, the ex-evangelicals and the nuns and the duns. John Kirkwood is a pastor who started an organization called The Sparrow's Call and a YouTube interview show called Voices in the Wilderness to create a space to explore Christianity and science outside of the confines of a traditional church. I think you'll find a lot to learn from John's wisdom and insight, so please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with John Kirkwood. All right, we are fortunate today to be joined by John Kirkwood. After 20 years of ministry, John and his wife, Wendy, left a pulpit in the Chicagoland area to answer a call to ministry to the disaffected, those who are unlikely to ever enter a church setting. The Sparrow's Call is an outreach to what pollsters have come to call the nuns, the duns, and the searchers. Its goal is to remove the unnecessary obstacles that both hurt and hinder belief and help turn doubt into wonder. John is the co-host uh, with Christine Johnson of Voices in the Wilderness, an interview show that promotes resources and ministries at the intersection of faith and science. And John is husband to Wendy Kirkwood and father to Connor, Carter, and Peyton, and they all live in Gilbert, Arizona. John, so glad you could join us today. Thanks for being here. Wonderful to be here, Dale. Yeah, so fill in the details there on, on your bio. I'm curious to hear about um, you know, your ministry and, and what type of, of church you're in, and also just what, what, what called you away from that, aside from maybe the Chicago winters. Yeah, I'll try and keep it short. Uh, Chicago <laughs> winters, yeah. Um, so uh, what called me away from it? Well, it was kind of um, multiple causation, but um, I had pastored there for quite a long time, for about 15 years. My father, who was a pastor before me, used to joke, you know, you wear out your welcome after about six years at a church. Um, <laughs> that wasn't the case at our church. It was a, like a, a family, a small, um, non-denominational church. Yep. And um, believe it or not, though, I was going through some changes and mm. it, it relates to, uh, a number of things. Um, but one of them was probably, um, uh, believe it or not, he's in the news again, but probably Donald Trump. Wow. Um, so my church was an older church, very conservative. Um, and, um, I, to, to confess to you, Dale, I was kind of, um, early on, a culture warrior pastor. Mm. And mm. I got to a point where I was troubled by that, yeah. where I saw that it was um, almost kind of an idolatry had crept in, you know, mm. uh, wow. that you're seeing kind of now with the Christian nationalism. Yeah. And, you know, I wrote a political column uh, years ago. And then when uh, um, Donald Trump uh, came on the scene, I was surprised how many um, kind of went after him, you know, um, and uh, I don't want to make this political or, or turn off any of your listeners, but well, it's um, a, so, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's that whole political side to Christianity can't be uh, separated from the growth of the nuns, right? There are lots of other factors, but that, that gets cited so often, how, how, 
how unappealing it is, how, how un, unaffirming it is of Christianity to, to have this yeah. unnatural wedding. And it's not, not about the Republican party, just any politics. It just, yeah. Unhealthy, so. Yeah, it is, and it it took. And once I realized how uh, unattractive I had become, wow. <laughs> you know, I I wanted to change. And I've always been a big fan of C.S. Lewis, and so, um, you know, I I poured myself into Lewis a little bit more and George MacDonald's unspoken sermons, and I realized that you know uh, I kind of came to the conclusion that he had something going there with mere Christianity because. Yeah. Here's somebody who's beloved by Catholic and Orthodox and all kinds of Christians respect him and so forth. And I, I got to a point where I was tired of so much unnecessary division. And so um, I started, you know, studying Lewis and so forth. But at the time, about five years ago, I, I was, it, it was pointed out to me, this phenomenon of people leaving the church, as you mentioned, the nuns. And uh, I grew interested in that and I started to study it. And I probably, you know, looked over there were something like 89 different surveys and polls. Yeah. And uh, usually the top five reasons for nuns and duns uh, are there's like 10 reasons that that show up in these surveys. And, mm -hmm. and, and so it's kind of like the best of five rock and roll bands. There's there's the Beatles and the Stones and the and Ze Zeppelin. They're going to be in there somewhere, right. uh, maybe in a different order and Elvis, whatever. But yeah. the, these reasons kept coming up. And so as I'm studying this um, and I'm reading, you know, hundreds of deconversion testimonies, it weighed on my heart. And so I started this is about three years ago. I started an evangelism apologetics class just to talk about those issues. And yeah. of course, you know, with disciple science at one of those main issues is science. Um, and uh, so science, uh, politics, you know, the, the, the relationship of the church with political groups, um, uh, not being able to express doubt was another big one. Mm, yeah. Uh, they didn't feel that um, they, they could ask questions without being judged as, you know, of having little faith or right, right. being a yeah. troublemaker or something yeah. like that. And so I started looking into these issues and, and my life changed because of it, Dale, for two reasons. One, one, I started to listen to them, right? <laughs> and two, um, I started to listen to my fellow pastors. I was in a number of pastors groups. And when I bring up this subject, most of the time I was kind of disappointed or horrified at the response. And the response was, some variation of, well, they were never of us. You know, if they left the oh, church, wow. uh, yeah. they're not of us. They were never of us. And right. even though that passage is talking about false teachers, I, it just reminded me of the story of the prodigal, right? And uh, the little brothers in the far country and the, the older brother's still doing his thing, thinking, uh, going about his business, but he's standing on the wrong corner in, in Luke 15. He's, 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 uh, Jesus is attracting sinners to him. And my father said years ago, he said, if you're not being accused of the same things as Jesus and Paul, you're probably doing ministry wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I started to weigh my ministry by that. And, it, it, you know, that passage says that the sinners were coming to hear Jesus and, you know, the Pharisees were standing on the opposite corner judging him. And, you know, the story of the prodigal is kind of kind of a gentle rebuke for the Pharisees there. And he's kind of saying, you're the elder brother in the field. And I said to myself, well, what should that elder brother have done? And, and, and to me, the answer is to go into the far country after his little brother, you know, hmm. and let him know he's got a seat at the father's table. And oh, I think th this is yeah. what Jesus is trying to say in that story. And all, really all of, of the stories of Jesus is, is trying to get our attention that the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep, you know, the good Samaritan, where you have the priest and the Levite doing their church business, but ignoring the need, the felt need that's right there on the side of the road. Yep. And so I'd talked about it with Wendy for a long time. She knew this was heavy on my heart. I didn't think that I was getting any more traction with my ministry at my church because they had hired a different guy. They had hired a different pastor and I was disappointing people because I was the last three years of my ministry was focused simply on the love of Christ. And so um, which, which I'm not saying they didn't respond to that, but it was just a sea change in the pulpit. And I felt a little guilty about um, 
remaining there because I had changed. I spent three years seeing if I could bring them along and to little or no success. And Wendy knew I was passionate about my little brother in the far country. And so we talked about it and we decided to make the change. Yeah, that's neat. And so how do you, how do you go after people that maybe don't want to be gone after? I, that's a kind of an awkward way to say that, but you know, a lot of these people that have either left the church or don't want to hear from them in the first place, how, how do you reach that audience? I love that question. Um, well, I got to tell you who I've been inspired by. I mentioned uh, C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald, but there's a guy who's living right now who next to Jesus Christ, I think is the greatest example of evangelism ever. And hmm. uh, I'm not even sure if he's a Christian, hmm. <laughs> having said that, but his name is Daryl Davis. And uh, I know you're a musician yourself. He's a jazz piano player, uh, jazz and blues. Yep. And Daryl has this um, unique hobby. Uh, he happens to be black. He was born in Chicago, my hometown, but he lives in Baltimore now. And Daryl, in his off time, goes to Ku Klux Klan meetings. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. So Daryl, I mean, if if one black man led one racist out of the Klan, that could be, you know, a great book or even a wonderful documentary or movie. Daryl has led 200 people out of the Klan. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Some, about two dozen of them were high-ranking Klansmen. Yeah. Grand Klegels and so forth. And so when I studied Daryl, <laughs> uh, he basically um, treats them as human beings and he listens to them and he, he, he shows them interest and love. Yep. And now having said that, uh, it's not a success story in the fact that he's not King Midas. I mean, for, for those 200 he's led out, there have been thousands who've spit in his face, sure. called him the N-word and yeah. probably threatened him. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that's, it's, I don't know what the percentages are, but I thought to myself, you know, uh, I, I can learn from Daryl, right? And so at the time I was still involved in the, you know, the culture wars and I was um, on boards for the pro, pro-life ministries and family ministries. And I said, uh, you know, we need to bring Daryl in and, and listen to him in, you know, kind of a TED talk type thing to, because this is what we want to do, right? We want to uh, approach our adversaries and make them friends. As Abraham Lincoln said, when, when I've taken my enemy and making him my friend, I have destroyed my enemy, right? Um, yeah. And there, there wasn't a lot of interest in bringing Daryl in. And, yeah. and I think in, I said this to my wife, I said, part of the problem with being a culture warrior, well, you know, and I'm saying this about myself is you have an old Testament mentality, right? I mean, we just saw the Jericho March in Washington. Yeah. If you think that out, the Jericho March was a war, yeah, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, they marched around a city that they wanted to take over, the walls fell down, down, and they yeah. killed everybody but one person. And, and this is <laughs> modern Christians doing this around their neighbors and their fellow Americans. And so whenever you hear a culture warrior, and I saw this in myself, we're fond of quoting the Old Testament prophets, right? We want to slay the you know, prophets of Baal. Jesus doesn't want us to be Elijah, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he has a different message for us. And so, um, no, we need to get down on our knees with the basin of water and the cloth and, and wash their feet. And, and so uh, that approach wasn't real popular. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, so that was part of my transition out of that. And, yep. um, and so Daryl Davis, if you haven't heard of him, folks, you know, there is a documentary made a, a, about him and just he's a fascinating uh, fellow to listen to and really um, a, a, a master class in, in how to not only listen, but how to become somebody who has an intimate relationship with somebody that you, you would probably normally find despicable. And so yeah. I've never seen the love of Christ better presented in a man. And I don't, like I said, I don't even know if Daryl's a Christian. He doesn't talk about his faith much, but I've never seen it presented better than I have in, in uh, other than Teresa of Calcutta and Father Malachi, other than Daryl. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. That I mean, there's something to be said for 
churches clearly you know we once we decide to follow jesus there's the discipling process is ongoing but but a ministry that's just rooted in your local church and in, in, in your local community is it, it's got restricted walls perhaps and and uh and reaching out to those people that aren't interested in going to church it's a whole different story and so you know more power to you i think that's great yeah, that's a real key to realize um, a lot of people, when they see people leave the church, their mindset is, how do we get them back in the church? I don't care about that um, because uh, I finally got to the place where I realized, wait a minute, you know, you look at the early church and you find out that the church is an organism. It's not, you know, most of the time you ask somebody about church, they, they tell you a where and a when I go here yeah. at this time. Right. And the church is not a where and a when, it's a who. And, right. and when you realize that, you realize that, no, you, you could take church to them. And the early church really centered not around a building and programs and, you know, the kind of thing we've made it today, but it's centered around a dinner table. Yeah. And I think we need to, I think COVID's given us an opportunity yeah. to make that real again. Yep. So especially there's some people who'll never step foot in church. And, yep. you know, we talked about the nuns, but the, the nuns kind of walk by the church and they're indifferent. The harder group is the Duns, because the Duns have tasted and um, uh, and walked away. They've rejected yep. Christ and Christianity in the church. And so, I, I don't mean to speak uh, blasphemous here, but to 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 talk in kind of a business accommodation. Getting back a disgruntled customer is much harder than reaching a new customer. Yeah, and right. I don't mean to say that that's what the gospel is or evangelism is, but I'm just saying a dun, a nun walks by the church and is indifferent. A dun slams a screen door on his way out. Yep. And so that's a different approach to a dun than a nun. And then there's searchers who are spiritually inclined, but they don't know where to begin because maybe they've grown up in a secular home or they've grown up in in a broken home and they don't have any experience of church life or Christianity or any religion. And yet they, they have that, that yearning that uh, Pascal and Lewis and Augustine told us about the, that, yeah. that yearning for a relationship that uh, God shaped vacuum in every human yep. heart. Yep. Uh, and they're seeking. And, and so those groups um, are, are what we're kind of centering on. Right. Right. Now, I mean, this is a, um, a, a complex, but you, I mean, you, you talk a lot about science, uh, especially in your Voices in the, in the Wilderness uh, program. And that's, I think, you know, uh, looped in and, and tied in with the Enlightenment and this um, pattern, which is real, but probably um, we make too much of it of, of education, right? The, the more educated you are, especially in the sciences, it seems that the, the less likely we are to pursue um, a religious faith. I, what's behind that pattern? I don't know. I mean, do, do, do you think that there's something real there about um, thinking our way away from God? Um, or or, or is, that, is that the wrong approach? Is it... uh, boy, you're probably better equipped to answer this than me. But... <laughs> I would say that, you know, when you work in, in scientific fields and you're, you're dealing with um, natural questions and natural evidence, yep. um, and then you, you kind of, you, that's your world. And, you're, and you, you know, if you don't have a background in faith, you don't really see a need to introduce the supernatural or you're studying physics, you don't really have a place for metaphysics yep um so i i i i think that might be one answer it yeah. might be multiple to others but yeah. part of it and part of the reason that science is important for us is because we're here in the united states and in the west we've made such a botch of the intersection of science and faith right that it's big now if we were in the uk maybe the sparrows call would be shaped differently hmm. because this isn't something this isn't a need in a lot of places in the world right now, but right, yes, here right. in America, if you look at the data, yep. there's, there's heavy percentages that believe, you know, that God 
created with special creation in the last 10,000 years. And so there's all this baggage that comes with being a Christian in America, whether you have an evangelical background or fundamentalist and so forth. And so we're seeing a lot of kids here. That's one of the reasons they're leaving the faith because they just don't find it. Not that it's not probable or not even possible. They don't even find it plausible. Yeah, right. Yep. I mean, they get to a point where they go to college and they take one course. And see, I know um, young earth creationists and others, other creationists, I should say creation scientists, like to make the big boogeyman Darwin yep. and evolution. But actually, it's much, it goes much beyond biology. I mean, if you take a course in geology or paleontology or archaeology, or, you know, if you're looking yep, at plate, plate tectonics, I mean, to, to embrace that world, creation science, you have to reject nearly all of modern science. It's not just biology. And in doing so, you have to embrace the mindset that is susceptible to conspiracy theory, because you have to think that scientists are either lying or they're under some kind of satanic spell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and or, then or you willingly get, deceptive. Yeah. Or willingly yeah, deceptive. Yeah, I suppose that's what it counts as lying, but yeah. And so one of the reasons um, that we love disciple science, that we love biologos, that we try our ministry in, in the science end, which is Voices in the Wilderness, is trying to introduce our community to voices they might have not known even exist. Right. Right? Because so many of them see it as a binary. You either believe God in the Bible or you're a godless atheist. And that right. binary is really strong. And that's what really crushes. That's what shipwrecks so many people's faith. And right. you see it with a lot of the YouTube atheists. But in other words, um, uh, atheism isn't the greatest creator of atheists. Toxic Christianity is. Yeah, <laughs> and right. and yeah. so part of our ministry is, is trying to say, no, it's not it's, you have another option other than those two options. Right. And it's tough because people within our own community make it hard, right? Because um, there's some of the loudest voices in the room. Now, I've noticed this even in your demeanor, Dale. Uh, I'm not a scientist. I don't have a background in science. Um, I am a member of ASA, but I, I, I'm under the theology kind of, they let a few of us <laughs> theologians creep in. Uh, so it's under that. But um, I, I do notice it's the, the demeanor of most scientists is not going to be an in your face kind of thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so uh, part of the, their, their world is they, they don't necessarily, and there are exceptions, you're one of them, but they don't necessarily um, have any training in commun communicating <laughs> to lay people what, mm -hmm. what they right. um, learn. And so, it puts you at a disadvantage uh, in some cases with some of the louder voices in the room. Right. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that, but probably you know, the most highly esteemed scientists are the ones who are doing nothing but research. You know, they're, they've known they're, they're very little interaction with undergraduate students or, or teaching or communicating. That's a distraction from writing grants and publishing papers. And so we probably lose our ability to, um, to empathize with the questions that come from an 18 year old kid, you know, and, and that's, that gets it. Um, a topic that I, I think we, we both uh, struggle with, which is the, the way we do apologetics today, you know, and I think that that um, so much of those scientific atheists are uh, they're they're pushing back against what they think Christianity is because their their understanding of it is through the lens of young earth creationists, which are, you know, again, as we've said, so vocal. How, how do you think we we need to revise our approach to apologetics? Ooh, great question. Um, I mentioned Lewis. I think the big mistake we make in apologetics is, um, and you brought up enlightenment thinking. I, I think um, we're trying to please, uh, yeah, that corner of the room. And so we've gotten to be all about facts and reason and arguments. I think that's a huge mistake. We've, yeah. we've lost sight of the story. Um, it was uh, Tolkien right? Tolkien and, and witnessing to C.S. Lewis, who brought up the power of myth and the true myth. 
Uh, and I think, you know, what was it? What was it that he said to, to, to Lewis um, about um, there's no tale ever told that men would rather find was true? Um, mm -hmm. And if you think about that and, and you think about how the lost think about the gospel now, that's not true. Yeah, right. right. They they're offended by the gospel, or they think it's stupid or silly. But when Tolkien said it, I think it was true. And now, if you if you think about it, Lewis, it was that argument. It wasn't the Kalam cosmological argument that convinced Lewis, right? Right. And so I think we've we've lost sight of the idea of mystery, and and the idea that uh, look, there's there's Christian apologists who think you can prove God, and so they right. fail yeah. philosophically before they they even you know get out of the gate. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I am really, um, disappointed with, the, with the direction of apologetics that, um, part of it, Dale, is I think Christianity, especially in here in the West is so consumed with certainty mm -hmm. that we have left no room. Yep. Um, there's no, there's no air left in the room for mystery and certainly not for faith. Right. Yep. So um, I think we've gotten away from the idea of story. Holly Ordway, who teaches at, she's a Catholic who teaches at Houston Baptist University. She was an atheist, but she was teaching Tolkien and Lewis as, as an English professor. And she said it was those years teaching Tolkien and Lewis that opened her mind to even consider Christian arguments in apologetics. Wow. Yep. But, you know, all of apologetics is built on one verse, you know, <laughs> And uh, be ready to give um, every man an answer. <laughs> yeah. And and I like that because it says an answer, not all the answers, right? Right. And and it's for the hope that is within you. Now I certainly hope that hope that is within us isn't the fine tuning argument or the teleological argument. Those things are all important in the place. But the hope that is within me is is Jesus Christ. And I I think we're almost embarrassed to bring that kind of argument up because we do live in such an enlightenment heavy period and we think we have to prove it scientifically and that I think is a big um, mistake and I don't I'll be honest with you Dale if you consider the apologists that are out there right now um, I don't see a lot of people and, and this is going to, I'm probably going to get beat up for this, but I see them preaching to the choir. I see the, the, the people that are following them are kind of like fanboys yeah. and the people, and I don't see like a Daryl Davis uh, reaction. I don't see a lot of atheists coming through their ministry to Christ. I see a lot of people just confirming their bias. And, and really some of the younger apologists I really like because they don't have a problem with evolution. Mm -hmm. But when you see some of their demeanor online, it's they're very combative with atheists. I think that's a huge mistake. It, yep. it makes it an us and them thing. Yep. And it's unnecessary. I, I actually think atheists should be listened to. And I think more often than they're not, they're right. Because um, let me just say this, and this is going to be controversial. Five of the biggest objections to Christianity, I, I, I wrote um, a column on this, uh, the 10 objections to Christianity, but the, the top five objections to Christianity are going to really get people mad. And luckily, they won't be able to throw a rock <laughs> through my computer, but um, they're God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the Bible and Christians. Hmm. Now, having said that, slow down, folks, and don't kill me. Yeah, right. When I say God the Father, it, it's 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 a it's a misrepresentation of God, right? The ugly God, the yep. cruel God, the angry right. God, the yes. God who God wants to actually. burn the vast majority of people in in hell, you know, as kindling wood. Um, the same thing Jesus said, or Paul said in Galatians, you you preach another and different Jesus, which isn't Jesus. So there, you know, um, a lot of what the atheists fight against. I don't agree with either. <laughs> you know, it's a caricature of, of, of the Godhead. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the Bible can be used uh, or misused. And, and uh, but one of the biggest things that I see the nuns and the duns um, underlining is, is Christians, Christian mm. hypocrisy, Christian, yep. Christian judgmentalism. 
and they've had experiences with it, or they're watching the, how the bishops handle the priest scandal, or they're watching how Hollywood basically ends the careers of people in the Me Too movement, but the church hides it and, and fights, for it, fights for it and doesn't admit it and doesn't come clean. And so they're weighing the church and we're found lacking. I, you can't see the bridegroom when the bride is so schizophrenic. And what they're seeing is the schizophrenic bride and it's ugly, it's fat in that dress. Yeah. And it's just not appealing. We've lost the true, the good and the beautiful. Tolkien was appealing to Lewis on the true, the good and beautiful. And I think at least in the West, we've been distracted. And so that's what I think apologetics is, is missing. We need to recover the beauty of that story again that made Tolkien say, this is the story that every man wants to be true. And who wouldn't want it to be true if you don't feel that, know that you have a loving father. Right. And um, so I, I think that's where uh, I'm saying it, it's going a little bit. Let me give you one example um, about the ugliness of, of God. I mean, if you, if you look at the great atheists and their arguments, Christopher Hitchens, um, for example, uh, in, in the modern Four Horsemen, they're not arguing against the God I worship. They're arguing against the God that is preached in corners of Christianity, though. Yep. Uh, yep. And um, when Anthony flew, <laughs> right, the great atheist um, who followed Lewis at, at that Oxford uh, Socratic Club and made uh, you know that famous argument in the 50s, um, probably the most famous atheist of the 20th century, when he became a theist and he wrote that book, um, There Is No God, and he crossed the no out, mm -hmm. people assumed he was a Christian. And he was asked before he died, you know, why haven't you trusted Christ? You know, you, you and because he said it was his work, it was science that led him to believe that there must be a creator, right? But why haven't you made that next step that, Lewis and others made in trusted Christ. And he gave two reasons. He said um, the doctrine of eternal conscious torment. And he said, and, and he mentioned Romans nine, but he gave the kind of Calvinist interpretation of Romans nine. So these two obstacles <laughs> kept him from trusting Christ. Now he spent the last month of his life with N.T. Wright, who doesn't hold either of those views. So we, we don't know how that worked out. I imagine it probably worked out pretty good. But <laughs> there are views that Christians present, including young earth creation, that are so just absurd or abhorrent um, that it, well, look, the God of the Old Testament said to Israel, the Gentiles, the Gentiles curse my name because of you. <laughs> and so um, I, I think that wasn't just true of that generation. I think in every generation, people take the Lord's name in vain. Um, we've all been wrong at some point. We've all presented a wrong version of, of God and of Christ and, and possibly of the Bible. And I think um, I pray oftentimes for forgiveness um, for being a part of that. But I mean, mm. we're all capable of it because we're all fallible. Yeah. But that's so interesting that the whole um, invitation of, uh, of of Christians to let go of of our of our certainties and our and our mm. proofs and our, um, our our conviction and our desire to to lay an, an answer before people's feet that is that is undeniable so difficult to let go of that. I think even I you know I hesitate to engage in certain conversations because I. I don't have a um, yeah. an answer that that can't be dismissed, right? It's a, but but I uh, and I you and I exchanged something on this once before. I I, I think that's why we have let go of um, of seeking God in creation because it's it's too it's too vague, it's too subtle, right? And it doesn't fit in with our modern approach to apologetics. But I, I think that's the same approach that 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 Lewis and Tolkien had, you know, and um, I was just listening to a, uh, a talk a few days ago about, about whether the Lord of the Rings was, uh, was an allegory or, yeah. or, or not. And like this, this desire to say, well, well then who's Jesus and who's, yeah. who's Satan and where does it fit in? And, and, um, and just perfect clarity, I think, is, is so difficult to let go of. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of rambling now, but I guess my question for you is what um, opportunity does 
rediscovering what I think the origins of natural theology hold, which is just exploring uh, nature, creation, not looking for proofs of God, but looking for uh, some sort of connection with the transcendent. Is, is that something that is accessible in this sort of post-enlightenment Western world? Ooh. Yeah, I, you know, um, scripture talks about the hardening of the heart, right? Yeah. yeah. I think over a period of time, some people are almost, and I wouldn't give up on anyone, but some people have, um, have, have become so hardened um, that it would be hard to reach them. But I think if they are going to be reached, it's through that awe that you're yes right yep. that awe will either be found in you know in nature or in relationship and um, my mother used to say um love is the only key that can that can open <laughs> the closed door yep. and um I, I when all else fails i i can't remember the atheist um who said this, but there was an atheist who was asked what, what was the best argument for God? And he said, well, it's not the Bible. I, I have an argument to refute anything you bring up, but I guess the best argument for God would be the life of my mother. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and I think with some people like that man, that that's the, that's the only thing that could melt that, that heart. Um, and that might be the opening or it might be, I, listen, with Anthony flew, it was that awe that he saw yep. that he couldn't escape yep. in his work, you yep. know, and he said, you know, he thought to himself that the math just isn't quite there for this to be completely natural. And it might've been years of trying to stifle that, that feeling, that yearning, yep. <laughs> right. For belonging that's uh, within each of us. And I, th I think that, that that is key now now for you and i to stand aside somebody who's who, who's not there yet i think that's something that we can keep in mind too that, that you know it's usually not going to be a good argument that's going to win that person right yeah right and yet that's always what we default to right it's yeah that I, i've got to somehow argue them or or use science or philosophy to convince them that god has to be true and hope that their heart will follow instead of perhaps going the opposite direction, right? Let's, let's show yeah, and, and you mentioned the, the path of apologetics and you see apologists going to college campuses and people line up 20 deep and yep. they ask good questions or sometimes leading questions, but they're just, it's like batting practice. And I, I don't think apologetics should be batting practice where you swing at every ball because you put in the 50 cents. Um, yep. I think sometimes we should say, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we should say, you know, that's a great question. And I'm still wrestling with that Yeah. yeah. because it's true, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but Christians feel like they have to have an answer. And so, you know, uh, a lot of times I'll have young believers say, you know, where can I get a book that will answer some of these questions? And, you know, Norm Geisler and others have written books like 200 questions, answers to hard questions. And, the last thing you want to do as a young believer is plug your umbilical cord into another man's um, thinking. I mean, mm. you know, Paul talked about doing your own spade work and uh, not hiring out or outsourcing your, 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 um, your own study. Yep. And uh, um, so I, I usually don't recommend any of those books. I think those books oftentimes are an obstacle to actual real wisdom. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you recommend? Uh, you know, I think if you're reaching out to, to these folks, that uh, are, are, are anxious about Christianity or hesitant, but maybe you've, you've sparked some curiosity. Where do you, where do you point them? Well, you know, uh, it depends, I think, on, on, on the conversation we're having and maybe what they've unpacked for me personally. Yeah. Uh, but if you're asking me just bland and in general, I, I still think that possibly the finest... Um, uh, apologetics book, if you want me to choose one book, is Mere Christianity, is, is mm -hmm. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Um, and I know, you know, uh, we have a mutual friend in Francis Collins. I know, I know that was instrumental in his life. And, and there's a book out there. 
uh, and I can't remember the author. She's wonderful, but she, she wrote a book called Mere Christians. Hmm. And that book um, is each chapter is a different person that has been led to the Lord by reading Mere Christianity. And so wow. when I look at the greatest <laughs> apologist or evangelist of last century, it's, it's Lewis. Um, yep. So um, I really think uh, Lewis one time said, uh, reason, reason can lead us to the truth, but imagination leads us to understanding. Right. And so I think those two, uh, if you want to put them, those two have to go together. They, they, they're truth and understanding. If you want truth and understanding, we can't leave out the imagination. And if you look at the life of Jesus, some 70% of his ministry was parables or storytelling. Right. You know, it wasn't systematic theology. I mean, there's one part where he reads from Isaiah in a synagogue and, yep. and he exegetes it. But I mean, um, but most of the time he's telling a story. And I think we need to get back to that. Um, yep. But and unfortunately, this is going to be sound bad because um, his reputation is in disrepute right now with the sex scandal. But somebody who mm -hmm. handled that pretty well was Ravi Zacharias, where if you looked at Ravi's ministry, and uh, I'm not trying to excuse right. the yeah. behavior that he's on, but if you look at his ministry, he would uh, use a three-tier three-tier approach to to appealing to somebody, and he'd he'd give theory, but he'd also break it down with a, 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 you know kitchen table talk, and then give an illustration. And I, and I think we've gotten away from that, and we're just about reason, and we're about whack-a-mole. Somebody asks us a question, and we got an answer to that. What's next? And it just it's sometimes it's real. I don't think that's very persuasive at all. I, I just don't think it's winning people. And, and if you look at the combat on the internet, it's the whole idea of a debate, uh, you know, that we're going to debate the atheist. I was uh, just about to go there. I think yeah. the, the prevalence of, of debate as a, as a pathway, you know, like we point people to a debate, watch, watch this theologian take down this atheist yeah. as a, yeah as a reason for why they should be Christian. It just, uh, it just doesn't sit it's right with great. me. And I don't think it's effective more than well. And, and if you look Dale at what is appealing to the younger generation, the nuns and the duns, yep. it's the intellectual dark web. It's seen Jordan Peterson sit down with Sam Harris and dialogue, not debate. It's, yeah. it's seen right. Joe Rogan interview somebody that maybe he agrees with, or he doesn't agree with right. It's watching a Ted talk, you yeah. know, that's informative. But the young Christian apologists and Christian apologists, it's all about debate and who pwned who. And, you know, that's how YouTube is is set up. And yeah. uh, watch yeah. William Lane Craig uh, embarrass this guy. Yep. And uh, I'm not picking on Bill. I, I, I'm just he's just the most well known. And, and, and uh, it's uh, I don't think it's a it's a uh, I think Bill's ministry is is necessary, but uh, I think a lot of the young apologists who think they need to be the next William Lane Craig uh, yeah. and stuff like that, I, I, I think we need to see. Um, uh, I keep bringing up Lewis, but Lewis was uh, one time given a compliment by an older woman, and, and she said to him, "We need more good Christian authors like you." Um, and he corrected her. He said, "No, we need more good authors." <laughs> Mm -hmm. who happened to be Christian and, and who bring Lewis's idea was to bring in the Christian story. Um, but under the radar, mm -hmm. uh, he used the expression to sneak past the watchful dragons. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so some people have this built up wall and they don't want to listen to uh, a sermon and they don't want to be preached at, but they would read the Narnia Chronicles, not knowing that they're getting a sermon or they'd read Lord of the Rings, not knowing that it was fundamentally a Catholic work. And uh, that's an art. And so yeah, I think yeah. apologetics has, has, you know, forgive me, I'm not insulting you, but no, no, no. there is art and there's science and apologetics is, is too much of a science now. And it, it's, it's lost it, its art form. Agreed. And um, so, so there's that. Well, that's, that's something that we're working to do. Part of, of my plan with disciple science is to talk about science, but also clarify that, that, that science has got some serious limitations, you know, and that, 
that if you want to be a Christian, you can, science can enhance your faith, but, but, uh, but your, your faith can, can enhance your science as well. Right. And that there, there's this, there's this beauty to faith and this mystery. And I, you know, this, the, the, the Descartes, the Cartesian uh, instinct to, to break things down and pull them apart and think that the, uh, what lays before you on the table will then reassemble into something even more is, uh, I, I think, you know, wrong, wrong-handed. And so yeah, I, I, I adore science. It is, you know, my, my career, but the deeper I get into it, the more I realize that proof is not, as you said, it's not relationship. It's not, it doesn't um, affect my heart. And that's where I'm deeply interested in um, rediscovering natural theology with what you said, imagination, right? Not, yeah. not, not using science as proof. And uh, I don't, I'm not interested in rehashing the arguments for God from creation. I'm much more interested in, in connecting with God through creation. Um, and, and, I, yeah. and, and I wonder... Uh, what role does seminary uh, play in that? You know, and sem- I know seminary for you was probably a few years back, but um, what, what's the message that that uh, emerging pastors are getting about how to reach out to people, and and is there opportunity there? Yeah, boy, you know, I'd be struggling to answer that for you, um, <laughs> yeah. but I, I would say, based on the American pulpit, I, I'd say seminaries aren't quite getting it. Um, and I, I will say this, there's a defensiveness in Christianity. Um, when it, when it, here's something I'll say that, that will actually, um, be a compliment to you. Um, Christianity should be, uh, theology, which is supposed to be the queen of the sciences could really do with, um, a lesson in, in the scientific method. And that Mm. is, um, that, we shouldn't try and hide from the truth. Let the data take us to where we need to go. And I think a lot of Christianity, uh, when you think about it, um, is fear and loathing. (laughs) And um, especially on the seminary level, and and when you have creeds and confessions. Now, in, in Christine and I, in Voices in the Wilderness, we talk to a lot of professors. Yeah right? Mm-hmm. Some of them work at um, Christian universities, um, and some of them work at, at secular universities. And the freedom of those who work at a secular university, they, they don't have this document they have to sign every year to live under. And that to me is, is, um, is, is not great. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I don't think that's good. Uh, I don't think that's really open to the truth when you have to sign a confession. I, you know, in Chicago, there was a controversy at Moody, uh, uh, at, mm-hmm. at their school. Yep. And it was a financial controversy, mm-hmm. but, um, a local journalist, a gatekeeper, I, I'd call her of Christianity decided to take the opportunity to attack two professors because she saw in their social media that they they weren't enamored with the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy, right? <laughs> so she tried yeah. to get them fired, even though they had nothing to do with the financial difficulties at the head of um, a Moody Bible Institute. And um, I thought this is just kind of an absurd, um, kind of a scary thing, I think, for most professors to have to live under that. And I think it carries on into the pulpit and in the church. And I'm thinking of a, a young man who works for Biologos. Um, and he went back to his father's church after university. And he found out that his best friend from that church, they both went into the sciences and uh, they came back and he came back and he found out his friend had become an atheist. And he mm. called his friend and he said, what happened? You know, I mean, what you know, we, we followed the same path. How did you end up where you're at? And he said, you know, I found out that in science, asking questions is encouraged. Wow. Yeah. But in church, I was either a heretic or I was, I lacked faith or I was a troublemaker. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to the pursuit of truth, Yeah. yeah. When it comes to the pursuit of truth, he felt the church was an obstacle to that. And that breaks my heart, right? You know, yep. Uh, 
And, and so I don't know if I answered your question about seminary, but uh, I'll, I've talked to a lot of pastors. They get one semester usually of, of, um, you know, uh, critical scholarship on, on the new Testament or whatever. And most pastors don't know how the Bible came together, but they've signed something about inerrancy. And so mm -hmm. we, we've kind of, Bart Ehrman has a career because yeah. he's told the truth about some of the texts and we tried to keep it hidden behind kind of a wizard of Oz. Like uh, he pulled back the drape on the wizard of Oz and said, well, wait a minute. No, we've, we've been arguing about this for 500 years. It's well known, but in Christian circles, we've kept it secret that, you know, John eight might not be in the text, the beginning of the, of John eight or something like that. And it's, it's unnecessary. You know, it, it was unnecessary and it created all, you know, when we try and help out God, I'd say this, Dale, if you look at the story of Ishmael, when we try and help out God, we, we open a, a Pandora's box, right? I, God doesn't need that help. Uh, let the lion out of the cage. The truth can defend itself. Um, it, we don't need to treat it like a house cat. Um, so, no, I think there's a lot we can learn about how to do church better and how to do seminary better. There, there's, um, but I don't think I can answer that question well yeah. for you. No, that's okay. It's just a curiosity. Uh, you know, I've encountered some people that have talked about the, the emerging progressiveness of seminaries. And there are these uh, programs that are taking science into seminaries and helping people process that. Because I hear so often about pastors that say, I don't feel prepared to talk about these topics uh, because I'm not a scientist, right? I'm not a scientist. And so I'm just not going to talk about them. Um, mm. and, and I think from, uh, uh, the average person with their butt in a pew, if their, uh, if their pastor won't talk about it or, or doesn't feel comfortable talking about it, then they're just not going to hear about it. And they, they just kind of, uh, go along with the social norms that, that there must just be conflict because they're not talking about it. Mm. Um, so, you know, when it comes to that, I think we're, we're I'm, I'm, seminary and pastors are oftentimes led down that path. You know, they're taught how to put bodies in pews um, and how to organize the church. And, and on the other end, if you go to some seminaries, it's all about systematic theology and, right. you know, organizing everything in a, a neat little box. And, yep. and, and if you go to Southern, you get this <laughs> this brand of which box you, you, know, get if you go to southeastern right, you get this right. brand but i'm kind of with george mcdonald on that mcdonald um had a disdain for theologians he said mm -hmm. uh and i don't mean I, I we interview theologians so john walton we love you but um he he said <laughs> theologians have done more to obscure the gospel than her atheist adversaries and, and I think there's a truth to that. When the world looks in and sees that we're at each other's throats because, you know, you're, you believe in sprinkling for baptism and we <laughs> believe in full immersion or you, you right. would dunk a baby and we think you can dunk an adult. And when you see blood that's shed over that or you, you see people fired over that, yep. um, yeah, the world looking in on that's going to think that's just crazy. Right. I mean, it, and it is, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, we need to learn um, how to discern uh, what what matters and, and what doesn't and, and get comfortable with disagreeing with each other. That, that's a message that I that I harp my students on, right? That we are going to disagree with each other. Let's learn how to do it well. And, and I think that's where, as we've discussed, our our um, desire for certainty and our the use of apologetics as, as a mallet uh, it just yeah. doesn't fit together with with that approach that let's let's be in relationship and, and dialogue as opposed to um, well I hate debate. to argue with the scientist about science but I'm going to take a swing and that's because yeah. you said something earlier that that I would like to um, at least give a, 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 a sideway issue to and you said well there, there's things that science can't um address and that's true that's true but as as somebody who looks at science and theology and i i i had um an apologetics page dale and i once did an informal survey on the page it was filled with uh people who ran christian schools fellow pastors people who worked in 
you know, full-time Christian service. Right. And I asked a question and the question was, when did the breach in relationship between science and the church begin? Was it over astro astronomy with Galileo or was it over evolution with Darwin? Mm -hmm. These are educated people. They were intelligent people. 73% of them said Darwin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which was 300 years later. Now, I love the video that you've done uh, on this issue on, on Galileo. And, yep. and I, here's, a, here's a place, right, where if you look at the theologians uh, over this issue, and you, we, you and I have talked about the two books analogy, right? Yep. And yep. that God wrote the world and he wrote the word, right? Yep. He spoke them both. Um, so all truth is God's truth, uh, whether it's in a chapter in a verse or it's in a telescope or a microscope, yep. it's all, all God's truth. Um, and if you look back at, at the Galileo period, Copernicus, Galileo, even Kepler, you're, you're seeing that the theologians read both books wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah, they yeah. got the science and the theology wrong. And, right. and, you know, I was just reading Luther the other day. And Luther was making an argument for, you know, <laughs> the water above the firmament. And, yeah, right, yeah. and he basically said, I don't care what they say. This is what the Bible says. And it, it could have been Ken Ham saying that. I mean, yeah. it, was, <laughs> it was like that. I've heard Ken Ham say this. And I've yep. heard Jason Lyle say, I start my astronomy with the Bible. Yep. Whereas a fellow believer, Mary Schweitzer says, when I look in my microscope, I don't bring my faith with me. I look at the data and I report on it. That doesn't mean I don't have faith. It yep. just means it doesn't have a place in, in this aspect of it. So if you think about that scenario, and I know you, you kind of bring it out in your video, but it wasn't theologians that fixed that. Right. Yeah. They dug their feet in and it was a couple hundred years of embarrassment where we became an obstacle really to our Christian witness because we were embracing something that the world had already moved on from mm -hmm. and accepted. And, you know, for a couple hundred years, and, and now maybe we're in a couple hundred year thing with, with creation science, you know, with Darwin, yep. I don't know, but it's, it's good to reflect back on that because it's humbling and it, it should be humbling to us to realize maybe I'm taking, I'm reading the Bible wrong, or maybe, the Bible really wasn't addressing what I'm thinking it's addressing here. Mm -hmm. And why can't I learn from a scientist who's looking at the book of nature? Maybe he's getting that right. right. And yep. so I, I, I just think that there are times where the scientific method and science actually can be better to us than seminary. Yeah, yeah. Or, Yep. Or, or Christian traditions. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I argued that position in, in a different video talking about, you know, Kuhn's model of, uh, of um, resistance to change that we see in science. I think that applies to theology as well, right? That, that, that we won't change our theology until, until we're forced to, basically, the, the, until the evidence becomes overwhelming. I don't know if that's a terrible thing, but you know, with the Galileo story, I'm not surprised that people didn't see that as the start of science. I don't think we talk about it. It's, I didn't encounter that story until I was 30 years old. You know, I, I, it, I think in part because it doesn't reflect well on the church. I mean, you're yeah. right. We got the Bible wrong. We got the science wrong. We yeah. were, you know, kind of jerks about it at times. We, we just didn't do anything right there. And so that's where I don't know that it's going to make its way into a Sunday morning sermon, but couldn't we learn from that a huge amount, but because it just, we come out with a black eye, we're just, let's just not talk about it instead. It actually did make it into a Sunday morning sermon. I, I before I left my church, I, I, I taught on that <laughs> as and not the whole sermon, right, but I brought right. it up as an aspect of humility and two pre people approached me afterwards to disagree with me. And, they came up to me the next week and they were in shocked because yeah. they went to prove me wrong and Googled it and found out. Yeah. And they found out and they were shocked. They, they were shocked. And so this goes to something about what you were saying about, we don't, we don't hear about it. We don't hear. Well, about yeah. It. Yeah. And so I think that both that science has kind of made the church look bad a couple of times, maybe more than a couple of times. 
And, and when we go to science, if we're not looking to prove God, which I don't think we can do with science, if we just want to have an encounter with God, it's too subtle to lead people through, you know, in a mysterious way. And there's the fear mongering out there that it's going to lead you to some sort of um, new age version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, it seems like we just, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I'm delighted to hear examples of exceptions to that. People say, Oh no, no, I'm, you know, my pastors invites us out to go worship in the woods or whatever. That's great. But I, it seems to be unusual. At least maybe I'm just in two, uh, two fundamentalist circles in, in my neighborhood, but <laughs> yeah, it seems that there is just, there's genuine fear around exposing yeah. people to searching for God where the answers they get are going to be, um, imprecise that you're going to have to use your imagination to, to, to find God there. And instead of seeing that as a wonderful opportunity where we're fearful about the outcomes. Um, so it's something that I, I'm so delighted to hear you talking about the, um, you know, the, the approach uh, you mentioned of, of Daryl Davis and, and, you know, you don't have to talk about the name of Jesus or, or cite chapter and verse in order to have a, a relationship that will convert somebody's life. And um, I, I wrestled with that myself with disciple science, how explicitly Christian we want to be. But I think that there's opportunity there to invite Christians to use their imagination, seek God through, through poetic means and, and, uh, and the study of creation and outside of the, the Bible and, and see what they find. And I think that, that we would, we would um, make great headway in, uh, using that as, actually as a gateway into this discussion of, of science and faith. Sorry, I'm, I'm monologuing here. I'm supposed to be asking you questions. No, that was, really that was beautiful. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate your, your, um, your, your heart, uh, John, for these people that uh, I think you and I are in, in similar ways targeting an audience that, has lost hold of what is such a beautiful, uh, you know, thing, which is this desire to follow Jesus for reasons that are, that are sometimes, you know, just, it's no fault of their own, you know, their perception of Christianity is, 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 is not the reality. And so um, I'm grateful for your ministry and, and you're reaching out and, and addressing some of these questions of, of science and faith that we're trying to do, deal with as well. So I really uh, appreciate you coming on. Hope that we can talk about this again at some point in the future. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. And we, we hope to have you on again soon. Yeah. yeah. It, was, uh, it was a great show and, and, and may God continue to bless disciple science. Uh, hey. You're doing a great job and, and we love, we share it. And that's one of the reasons we had you on because we want people to know about you as a resource and yeah. uh, you know, you, you, you talk with students and um, just, it's, it's so heartbreaking when they don't really know right. <laughs> that there's another option. So I'm grateful that we live in a time where biologos exists, where yes, disciple right. science exists, where there's yeah. places, uh, authors and, and uh, talks on the web where we can share with people yep. because it really is a terrifying experience to feel that you don't have a home anymore. Right. Yep. Uh, or that you're a man without a country. Yep. So um, uh, before, before I let you go, what, what's, what's next for this girl's call and for voices in the, in the wilderness? What are, what are you working on? Ooh, we've got, we're going to start a podcast soon, kind of like you, because mm-hmm. we've gotten a, a lot of interviews and um, a lot of people can't watch on YouTube. So they've been wanting to follow online. So we're going to be starting a podcast and depending on how this year works out, I don't know if there's uh, going to be a conference at some point, um, but um uh, we hope to do that in the future. Maybe put together a conference where we invite voices like yours to come and uh, speak, or where we go uh, and and get a table at uh, at the BioLogos annual conference or yeah. something like that. But right, right now, um, that's what we're going to work on. We we've got more interviews lined up with some interesting people, and uh, a podcast, and 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 we'll we'll see where it takes us. Great, great. 
Well, it's the sparrow's call. I, I should I should mention yeah. one other thing, and yeah. that's um, I do a uh, live stream on Sunday mornings for people who don't have a church home or don't mm. feel comfortable in church. It's called Church Without Walls, yep. and you can find it on my Facebook page, or we put it up on YouTube at, uh, under Sparrow's Call. So we welcome all those who come in peace, including uh, our atheist brothers or agnostic brothers. Um, it's just to explore the idea of uh, of God. So great. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. It's great. Thank you. Great talking with you. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. At Disciple Science, we believe that integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We produce this podcast and our videos to help you connect with God through God's creation. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit based in St. Paul, Minnesota. If you want to support us, you can give by visiting our website at disciplescience.com. We hope you'll subscribe on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook so you can stay in touch with everything that we're doing. We want to thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon.